0: Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran, Systematic Theologian. I bring that up today because I'm going to be relying on the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas in today's program. St. Thomas Aquinas identifies 16 different facets or different attributes that are associated with making a good confession. And so I'm going to unfold those but doing so in a way that will also highlight the importance, not only of confessing, of going to confession, but of living a, as, a, as a godly man, a godly woman, and fostering a confessional attitude in our homes. How do we help our kids learn how to reconcile when someone has sinned against them and when they have sinned against someone? It's something Carrie and I have given a lot of thought about and have attempted to put into practice in our home. And have also failed to do well on a number of occasions. And so there are some highs and lows here connected with the implementation of what I'm going to be teaching. And full disclosure, <clears throat> it's kind of a confession. <laughs> what, I'm being, what I'm teaching about is not only found in the Summa Theologica of St. Thomas Aquinas, it's also found in my book, Confession, Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life. I wrote that book because so many Catholics were running away from confession, that incredible sacrament of healing, rather than running to it. And so in one of the early chapters, I dig into I explore and unpack in a systematic way the concept of confession, of stating, I did it. So before we do that, let's pray. I confess that I forgot to pray. Okay, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, I come before you today in Jesus' name, and I'm sorry for all the times and all the ways that I have dishonored you and my thoughts, words, deeds, and omissions. And I repent before you, Father, for taking your mercy for granted and for falling short in living out my vocation as a husband and a father called to lead, provide, and protect my kids. Please, Father, forgive me for those times that I have fallen short out of laziness, out of fear, out of a lack of faith, or a lack of courage. Please, Lord, invigorate in me the graces I need to fulfill my call more perfectly today. Thank you, Lord, for a fresh start. Thank you for a new beginning. And Lord, give me the grace to humbly approach you every day and to make a vigorous, rigorous act of self-examination and confession in your holy presence. Lord, I long to honor you in all that I say, think, and do. And I make this prayer in Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, so here we go. I was having dinner last night at at our house with uh, some parents, sort of end of the year party stuff. And uh, yesterday was uh, my graduating daughter's 18th birthday. And so there were a bunch of kiddos around and we were just chatting with some of the parents and one of the conversations that came up was around confessing. And and it wasn't it wasn't around the like going to confession like uh, celebrating the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. It was more around how do we help our kids reconcile when they treat each other badly? And the context was here when kids leave each other out kids exclude this this is a thing this is a thing and it's been an interesting journey as parents shepherding our kids along this path frankly i i relied quite a bit on carrie's wisdom in terms of when to step in and uh like get very involved versus stepping in and counseling our kids or challenging our kids As the case may be to offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness or to take a step forward to reconcile Um, and then at other times giving the kids space to figure it out it's a really interesting like thing to understand like how do you get involved in all of those and one of the other parents started to share about how she was teaching her daughter at a younger age to reconcile and she did it with the other parents whose kids were involved these girls were involved in you know it was like fifth grade ish uh, time frame but the girls all learned how to confess how to ask con- to confess faults and failings in the relationship to ask for forgiveness and to reconcile and it it really got to me it made me, made me think gee you know maybe we didn't do enough of that or It actually made me think, I haven't talked a lot about this on Sound Insight in quite a while. (laughs) So I'm like, here we are, we're approaching the summer and kids are going to be out of school. Kids are going to be in each other's space and in your space a lot more day to day. And the opportunities for kids to trespass against each other. And I really like that language. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Have you ever used that language to catechize your kids regarding what it means to sin against each other? Right, To sin against each other. And they get it because kids can easily be pointed to signs that they see on people's property. No trespassing. You don't just get to go on someone else's property that's being disrespectful, that's being... Um, inappropriate. So, when uh, when we see our kids acting badly, Carrie in particular will bring out that language. You're, you've trespassed against her when you said that or did that. You need to ask for forgiveness. You need to rec- you need to confess and reconcile with that sibling. So, uh, that's something just just to be thinking about. Now, you have to know that. Uh, There are elements of this reality of confession that um, we have to recognize that are are alive in our kids. One of them comes, uh, I can best express through a simple story. Before we had children, Carrie was a teacher, and in one of her very last years, she was teaching seventh grade at a Catholic school. And one of the kids was, uh, you know, sort of had a gleam in his eyes, was kind of a troublemaker and would try to out-clever Carrie in terms of cause, causing mischief in the class. And one, uh, on one particular occasion, when she would turn to write on the board, um, the boy, Bobby, would uh, take a balled-up piece of paper and throw it at another student. And Carrie would turn around when the kids would giggle and would notice, wait a minute, where'd that ball of paper come from? And so she just decided to out-clever the clever one. And so she, uh, at a short interval after this, decided to uh, turn towards the blackboard and was about to start writing and immediately turned back. And as she did, there's Bobby in the middle of the wind-up, you know, like a wind-up in a pitch. He was in the middle of the pitch (laughs) portion of throwing a balled-up piece of paper. And as he is in the act of throwing this piece of paper, Carrie yells out, "Bobby!" And he, and he his response, his like immediate visceral response as he's in the act of throwing the paper, is to say, "I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it." He's throwing the paper in the act of actually throwing. I didn't do it and i mean he was just caught red-handed and yet that for me is a great story to point out the, the simple truth that nobody likes to be caught doing something wrong no one likes to be caught doing something bad having that be exposed and I'm sure if you've heard talks on confession and sin, you know, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They hid. They hid because they were ashamed. And so it's a very natural, let's call it fallen impulse for us to hide and deny our own wrongdoing. Our will, our willful wrongdoing, the, the wrongdoing we do out of weakness out of spiritual bondage, whatever the, the sources or, or the causes that, of the impetus within us, we want to hide. We do not want to come out into the open and expose our shame, expose our sin. And yet we miss out on the power and the gift that comes into our lives when we engage in confessing. Another simple story that brings out the power of the effect that comes to our lives through confessing. When Kerry and I first moved out to Western Washington in the mid, uh, the late 90s, uh, we were driving in, in near Tacoma, and we went past by the Tacoma Dome, and I saw this big, beautiful church there. I said, "Kerry, what is that? That's Holy Rosary. Beautiful." let's go there. I want to go there. It was Saturday afternoon. Why don't we go and pray? Go to confession. Awesome. Let's do that. So got off the highway, went, went and prayed. Priest comes in to go to confession. And it wasn't your typical reconciliation room. It was a traditional confessional. And in this traditional confessional, you know, the priest in the in the center box, right? And And then you have the place for the penitent to go into his or her spot to confess. Well, what was powerful was what was written, etched in wood, above the confessional. Above the confessional was one word, three letters long, in Latin. The letters were P-A-X, Pax, which means peace. And I want you to stop and think about that. Going into that door, you are entering into the doorway to peace. And really, to be honest, how many Catholics know that? Do we really think that through the doorway that leads into the confessional, into the place where I have to be willing to overcome the shame connected to my sin, that that's Where peace lies that's somehow if if that's going to be the front end of the of the reality of confession is here's the here's the word if you want to know another way of describing confession it's self accusation confession is self accusation not self-defense not justification rationalization downplaying obscuring no to confess is to accuse oneself it's to come out into the open rather than staying in hiding and in a fallen world the fallen part of our lives says don't go there don't do that if you confess the place where you have fallen short settled for less where you have failed in your commitment You're you're, you're leaving yourself open to liability. You're leaving yourself open. You're vulnerable. And yet, in the realm of the Spirit, in the realm of faith, in the realm of our relationship with God, it's self-accusation that is the path to peace. And when we look at our tradition, we encounter... That reality we encounter it. I mentioned in Saint Thomas Aquinas, where he identifies sixteen facets of confession, and I'm not sure how many of them I'm actually going to be able to get to today. Because um, good news is, Carrie is going to be joining me uh, in just a, a couple of minutes. She wasn't able to be here at the beginning of the program. She's about to to join me in uh, this conversation on faith and family and the importance of confessing and of um, the willingness to make that act of confession Um, but St. Augustine St. Augustine is someone who brings out into the open very powerfully the idea that confession is like coming to the doctor and revealing the sickness unless you share with the doctor what your sickness is, how can he apply the cure? And so self-accusation is bringing our spiritual disease, sin, out into the open, so that the divine physician, Jesus, can bring about the cure. And so that gets to the heart of the sacrament of healing. Confession brings healing. And not confessing leads to the opposite. Well, when we come back, Carrie, my wife, is going to join me, and then we'll dive further into this conversation. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, and I'm happy to say that my wife, Carrie, is here. Hi, dear.
1: Hey, Tom.
0: Hey, great to have you on board with me, Uh, since you missed the first section of the program. I was I was kind of doing a little bit of spiritual tap dancing getting getting the theme covered okay you know what we're talking about
1: what are we talking about we're talking about confession oh nice. so you
0: start I, I during the first part of the program shared my worst sins so okay now it's your turn
1: all right sloth oh that's good. Distractions, distractions that is rebelliousness awesome. against oh. the lord calling me to pray and come away with him i will nice. not serve i'm gonna go watch the show I'm going to go eat some popcorn and hang out with my kiddos. I All right, know. let's. <laughs> uh, there is that spirit, though.
0: Which spirit? The, the uh, faithful spirit?
1: No, that spirit of I will not submit, I will not serve. It just comes. It's like a rebelliousness that is in my heart at times where I don't want to surrender to him and to just just. Can you not take 20 minutes and just come away with me and and talk to me, share your day with me, share your heart with me, worship me, thank me? Just be still in my presence. It could be like in my bedroom. I'm not talking specifically adoration. To
0: right. So you're you're just saying that that's the Lord speaking to you. That's the Lord saying, you know, you why aren't you making our relationship a priority? In essence.
1: Uh, yeah. And I think if you're talking about confession, Tom, one thing that happens in prayer is the Lord awakens in me things that I need to confess or areas that I have a, it's not necessarily something I've said to you or to my kids. Cause often I can go into confession and say, I got angry with my kids. I dishonored my husband, <laughs> um, those kinds of things, but it's, how about how do you think about your spouse and how do you think about your children or how do you see them? And those kinds of attitudes or thoughts are not quick to be confessed because they don't feel as big as, well, I actually got angry with my child. And I think it's through prayer or it's in that conversation with the Lord just awakening in me my own like selfishness or just attitudes that are not honoring him or honoring... My brothers and sisters in Christ, that I could not come to that on my own. It's the Holy Spirit who comes and convicts and exposes who I am or the the areas where the Lord needs to love me and heal me. Does that, am I saying too much? I don't know. It's no, just... That's great. It's actually, uh,
0: so let's see, earlier in the week, I was talking about John Paul II, and you, you know how often I will use that. Awareness, attitude, action—how yes. we see things, how we relate to things, how we behave, and how the the deepest conversion is connected to how we see. Right? It's conversion of mindset. That's the hardest thing to change. You can change your behavior much more easily than you can change an attitude. You can change an attitude way more easily than you can change a mindset. Right? We were just talking about, um, you know, this person and how they relate to the concept of discipline, and what was our conclusion or my conclusion was you'll never be able to argue him into a different way of seeing this because it's his framework it's his consciousness and so it's a transformation of the heart that happens in prayer thank you
1: that's that's okay. the only place it's like that that deep exposing of an attitude that real, I mean, I guess you could go to therapy and read some books and, and contemplate, but... It's a long, it's hard, a long, hard road. It's just a lot better if the Lord just changes your yeah. heart and, and makes clear to you what you just cannot see because you have the log in your eye and you're trying to get the speck out of your brother's
0: eye. So I'm going to take what you just said and translate it into three levels of repentance. So we, um, like when we think about confessing, we think about the deeds, like I repent that I did that. an action. I typically. confess I confess and I repent for that action. It could be that word, that deed, or that omission, what okay. I should have, what I didn't do and I should have done. Those are all things where we say, I'm sorry, I'm okay. sorry that I did this or I didn't do that or I said this. Um, so th- that's one level of repentance, and that's where most people stop is repenting of deeds. When it comes to attitudes, do you know the word that describes conversion of attitudes? No. It's not repent. You don't repent of a certain attitude. You renounce nice. an attitude.
1: I like that. Isn't that a good word? Yeah, because it brings strength, and it, the degree to which this attitude is hurting you, it needs to be renounced. Yeah,
0: because what, what, if you think about it, the attitude manifests itself in behaviors. If I'm going to relate to my husband in this way, my whole way of relating is to to have a, a spirit that is not honoring or that is not respectful or that is denigrating or that is dismissive or is not in a listening posture or is not open, right? You could, those are all attitudes. Now, none of those things individually are manifesting themselves, so to speak, in an action at every moment. But the attitude is enduring. It's always present. And so you, you can't repent from, well, I'm repenting in this moment because somewhere in there is this attitude. No, you renounce it. In other words, I want to sever any connection that I have in my life to this way of relating to my spouse?
1: Uh, I got a good confession. I'll be back. <laughs> okay. Well, and the thing about that is I think as we get older, we're more clever and wise up to not saying or, or speaking words that would hurt or harm because we know, oh, better be careful. This is a trigger. This is a, a conversation that we just can't have right now. But I've never actually thought about how do I change my whole attitude or be set free from it. And what I love about what you're saying, Tom, is sometimes we get this attitude towards a person that we can't fight on our own, that we can't be freed from. It is just there and it it is so um, harmful.
0: Yeah, okay, so do you know uh, in which particular, let's call it spiritual initiative, the theme of renunciation plays a critical role? No. A spiritual initiative. I'm trying to describe it without giving it away. Okay. What apostolate apostolate is built around renunciation? It's deliverance prayer. Okay. Now stop and think about that. So deliverance is not when you are tempted by a demon, because when you're tempted by the realm of the demonic, that you're tempted to do what? You're tempted towards an action. So that's where repentance comes in but when you give in when you make room when you welcome the realm of the demonic into your life and the devil gets a foothold that foothold can become a stronghold and when that is there you're experiencing bondage and one of the ways of describing spiritual bondage to the realm of the demonic is when you need deliverance you're not possessed But you are experiencing a kind of obsession with things. You can't let it go. You can't not go in that direction. It's habitual. It's the natural flow of the direction of your life. And the way out of that is deliverance. And so you pray prayers. Lord, deliver me from this. I renounce any connection to these demons, to this demonic Way of living my life. I renounce this, and I turn to the Lord and I ask for His power to set me free. Dan, what would some
1: examples of that be? Can you be more specific?
0: of um of like attitudes things to be delivered from? Yes. Well, take any of the deadly sins, right? So deadly sin, gluttony, envy, sloth, lust. The easiest the easiest ones, like lust, right? So a guy, a guy might find himself so in such a, a habitual state of lust that anytime he looks at a beautiful woman or a beautiful woman crosses his path, his mind immediately, habitually, right? the, the flow of his mind, the downhill movement of his mind is towards the idea of finding sexual uh, sexual gratification in his imagination as he looks at that woman and he may say, I don't want to do that. I hate that I do that. Why am I doing that? This is so ridiculous that that is still happening in me. That's an example of being in bondage to, not just the sin of lust, but the sin has taken such a stronghold in his life that he needs to renounce that entire way of relating to women.
1: I think this is really important because when one is in that state, there is such shame and guilt and you want to hide. You feel defeated. And I think there's just this element of not being able to win that battle because I imagine at that point you've battled and battled and battled and it just doesn't feel like there's freedom or there's
0: peace. Okay, so think about it now. What do guys in this situation often do? They'll go to confession, they'll confess sins of lust, and then other sins that flow from that. Often it would be masturbation, probably pornography, um, probably uh, infidelity in their imagination, right? All of these sorts of things that are gonna flow from that. Um, But what will happen is that they confess the act in confession, they receive forgiveness for the act, but the underlying condition of the soul, the underlying bondage hasn't been touched uh, because there hasn't been a deep renunciation and there hasn't been, well, let's call it the penance needed to be able to be unbound and set free. So,
1: Do you feel like that kind of um, bondage or, and I I don't think this is uncommon, I think it's becoming more common, if you mention gluttony or sloth or um
0: greed anger
1: yeah i just see that happening more i feel like the society's
0: getting hardened um do you feel like falling into more sinful attitudes that require a deeper act of repentance called renunciation like people that are pursuing wealth greed right all of a sudden money becomes the god and yeah, they're pursuing hard work because they want to get wealthier and because of all that stuff that wealth is going to bring them. And so all of a sudden wealth is the be all end all and they become so greedy and then they become very um, uh, uh, minimalistic around sharing any of the the wealth that has been given to them. They think it's mine, I've earned it and you haven't obviously, you're not willing to put in the work. So this is mine, I'm the possessor of it. And all of a sudden they're possessed by Oh, wow. Possessed by that which they think they are possessing. I
1: think at an even simpler, more common state, one would just say, I'm achieving wealth. And they would just take their eyes off of the eternal call or the perspective of I'm here to serve and all that I have is his. So I think it's this whole attitude of I need to be in control of my finances. I need to have this financial uh, retirement plan. We can't afford this, that, and the other thing because we're er, working towards some kind of goal and just kind of not allowing the Lord to speak into your whole life of, well, I really have a call for you to go on mission. I really have a call for you to, you know, help someone with, you know, their rent or pay, provide, you know, some kind of housing situation for someone or a car or just to be incredibly generous. And I think we just shut the Holy Spirit out. Because we're so caught up in, well, we got to keep the budget, and we only have this much left over, and this is going to go towards our retirement. I don't know. I just can see how my attitude sometimes can get off track, and I don't really see the eternal call that the Lord has, which is so full of peace and joy and freedom to be able to seek his, you know, what am I here
0: for? It's not to fulfill myself. Well, and to think, I, and I made this point just before the, uh, the end of the first section of the program, that in our tradition, confession is the path to peace. When people are all disturbed, stirred up on the inside, and they're not at peace, uh, the path to peace is self-accusation. You accuse yourself of those things that you're ashamed of that make you want to hide. You bring them out into the open. You expose them to the Lord. And that's how you're going to come to peace because he will bring healing. He's the divine physician and he'll heal us. He'll heal us not only from the acts that we repent of, the behaviors that we're ashamed of, but of the attitudes that cling to our lives. So I think about that. You mentioned it. Um, Again, I come back to the husband-wife relationship, how there is a way in which we... Will easily just start settling for less, in how we relate to each other. Just thinking he'll never change, she'll never change, and um, and 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 that isn't something that's said with a celebratory voice. I'm so glad he's not going to change because he's so loving, right? I'm so glad that he's she's not going to change because she's so generous and self-sacrificial. That's not that that's not the follow-on, right? The completion of that sentence, but it's a, a sense of saying, "Wow." This is a real sadness I have to live with, within these narrow boundaries, these narrower boundaries, because there isn't a greater sense of sacrificial willingness to say, "How do I grow, and how do I help you grow?"
1: And then you settle. Then you're just you kind of throw on you the towel right. and say, "Where this is never going to change."
0: Yeah, and and you think of the loss. What a loss! And and I think kids notice that too. My kids notice that. Well, they just well they're falling into the same fights that they like. I think about my parents; they ended up they had a lot of fights. Um, they stayed together, loved each other, but when they disagreed, they yelled at each other, and that was always very disturbing to me. But I, I think it maybe I hoped for, but I never really thought that the kind of healing and changes that were going to happen inside of both of them would ever really happen to change that part of their lives. Now, ultimately it did to some degree, but it was, um, it was hard to to grow up in that kind of environment. And and that's what's at stake, parents, right? What kind of environment are we creating um, in our kids, in, in our homes, and how confession can be a path to healing. How, whether it's repentance or renunciation or something even deeper. What is that deeper? I'll tell you in a minute. Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. Carrie, here we are. It's, uh, we're, we're recording this on Thursday night. It's Ariana's birthday. She turned 18. I feel weird. I feel like we didn't really celebrate her very much today. I mean, we had a busy day. It was the last full day of school for the kiddos.
1: I was subbing all day.
0: And you were sub, substitute teaching. And then there was a graduation party for friends of ours. And then the kids came over to the house briefly, but they weren't really over here to celebrate Ariana. And then they all went out. The seniors went out for a bonfire. So I, I feel like I'm confessing here that, <laughs> that... She'll
1: she'll make sure we make up for it.
0: <laughs> well, and I, and I called her. I called her at lunchtime. I said, hey, do you want to go out for lunch? But she couldn't. She had to um, drive and pick up kids and all this other stuff. Yeah, she was so, busy all day. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. But... The nice thing was is that she said, oh, maybe we can go out tomorrow um, and and find a time. Okay,
1: just to say, the girls did an amazing job decorating the table for her birthday breakfast, which was beautiful. They made a huge banner with balloons that say, happy birthday, that filled the whole living room. She took your credit card and went and bought some new shoes (laughs) and a few other things I saw. So I think she's um, been noticed a lot. We just have not gathered... To honor her or to affirm her tonight, because of all this stuff going on, which I think we'll we'll figure out this weekend, which is Father's Day weekend. Oh,
0: nice! Yes, yes. So we just go Guys, right into Father's Day weekend? Well, let's go right to Father's Day weekend. <laughs> how did I? How did I forget that? Okay, no, so I just I want to just hold, mention, on, hold on. Uh, no, 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 I missed my no, turn. No, no, no. no, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> go ahead. I want to finish off the third level of repentance, right? Yes. So, when you think about conversion in the acts of of um, how that relates to, um, repentance. There's the act of repenting, right? That's about your deeds and then attitudes. What's it called? Renouncing. Renouncing. And do you know what renouncing looks like and sounds like? Um, no, tell me. Well, when you think about, have you ever heard somebody publicly renounce? Rebuke. No, renounce something like I renounce my affiliation with this group. Okay. Right. So it's a, it's a public proclamation that says, I will no longer associate myself with this group. I identify myself as having put that in my past. I am not connected with it. I recognize that it is not life-giving or it's a positively evil. Do you think you should renounce things out loud
1: in prayer? I do. Do you think you should like yell it out or just say,
0: (laughs) I renounce sloth? In Jesus' holy name. Um, I I think that for some people that would be very helpful. Um, I have interior dialogues with the Lord in my prayer time. So I hear my own voice as pretty distinct and clear inside without having to say it out loud. But there is a tradition in in our Catholic tradition of spiritual writers that emphasize the importance of speaking the prayer out loud that it is a degree of making real what it is you're actually doing. So for instance, um, praying the rosary, they'll, uh, there are some writers who will say in order for you to fulfill a certain commitment connected to praying the rosary, you should actually be saying it out loud. So, uh, if you want to draw from that principle, the idea that there's some wisdom in there. So, I don't know. Do you find it more beneficial if you say something out loud and you you hear it audibly versus interiorly?
1: I think, uh, like a more charismatic type prayer. Definitely. I feel the power and the strength, or if I sing out loud in worship, I feel more power and strength. I think speaking it words have power. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, for sure. I think saying it out loud with with emotion or even repeating it or repeating it every hour or you know, some things need more than just one moment in the day. Yep. It, it needs to, it, especially if you're really battling with something, it almost needs to be set on your phone every hour that you renounce and then quote a scripture or find some form of strength to hold on to to get through because if someone if you really truly are oppressed or you've been there's a uh, infestation of some sort
0: an obsession
1: an our obsession that does that's going to require a degree of fight that's not yeah, just actually that's a great
0: point Carrie typical I think that's a great point It's something that I don't I don't really think about as much but I think you're right I think when in those times or periods in my life where I felt deeply an area in my life that required renunciation that it was marked by I'm going to use a word here, intensity. There was an intensity to the battle to become free. And when I'm battling something intensively, saying it out loud like also with a sense of ferocity, yes. with strength. Has like a you way really of confirming. believe. Yeah. You really believe what you're saying. Right. Well, and in the flip, the flip side of the coin of renounce is to announce. So, I'm renouncing my affiliation or association with this sin or this demonic uh, reality. and I'm announcing my affiliation with Christ and a virtuous walk. so so there's that. And then um, the third level, so remember now there's the there's the actions, and then actions come from attitudes, But attitudes come from awareness or how we see. That's the mindset, right? And, and you've heard me talk on Sound Insight before, how the deepest conversion, when Christ talked about conversion, he wasn't first talking about actions or even attitudes. He was talking about mindset, how you saw things, like who's Jesus, who's God, God the Father. And, um, and so that deepest conversion, if you get to conversion through the act of repenting, and you get through, you get a conversion of attitude through the act of renunciation, how do you get to the conversion of mindset? What's that called?
1: Hmm. Can you give me a multiple
0: choice? I'm gonna just give you the answer. Okay. I'll, I'll just be merciful. <laughs> it's it's a gift of grace. Okay. You cry out help. Thank you. You're I powerless. love powerless. I love that. You do not have the power to convert your mindset. You only bring to the Lord your radical desperation that he change your mindset. And so... So true, Tom. So that's something that we don't do enough. We don't do enough, and so we settle for less in the mindset that makes us see, see what? See God a certain way. See Christ a certain way. See the practice of our faith a certain way. See ourselves a certain way. See our spouses a certain way. See our marriage a certain way. See our kids a certain way. All of a sudden you start realizing, wait a minute, Everything that I do with my life gets traced back to how I see it, how I see God, myself, and all these other things, all these things that are part of my life. So all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, conversion of mindset is the biggest deal. It is the biggest of the big when it comes to living lives as disciples. If you don't have a converted mindset to the mind of Christ, ah, Romans 12, we can form our minds to the mind of Christ so that we think the way he thinks. That is where, where real discipleship occurs, not conforming your behaviors so you're imitating Christ because you're acting like he likes. That's Phariseeism. No, no, no. It's a conversion of mindset. That's a grace from God.
1: That's really profound. I really want to ponder that. You know, we're doing the... Um, i don't know if you said 33 days from morning glory yes to morning glory Yep, and and um i don't remember doing this part i just i think we did it like five years ago but um the first 12 days uh, you're supposed to empty yourself of the spirit of the world and penance and mortification as a preparation period did you know that did you read this first page
0: you gave that to us (laughs) we were using we were using the online meditations for the first few days and then John Mark saw that last night. Uh-oh. And he said, Dad, can we do this instead? And I'm like, okay. And it's so we read really good. the Matthew 7 uh, scripture. Well,
1: look, the gospel choices are very powerful. Yeah. Um, and then it, it says, so the first week, you focus on offering up prayers and devotions for the purpose of coming to understand ourselves and our sins. Humility is the key. And then it tells you some prayers to read. And I guess it just um, preparing Did you. already just said, though? Humility is key? No, no,
0: just before okay. that. Well, what the, I... the, the goal is coming to. Okay. Let me find it.
1: Uh, the first week focuses on offering up our prayers and devotions for the purpose of coming to understand ourselves.
0: How we see ourselves.
1: And our sins. How and we and see under... our sin.
0: It's consciousness. Yes. It's the conversion okay. of how we see.
1: Okay. And it. Well, in this, it says you're doing this through penance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Not
1: just prayer, but actually taking on penance to have the Lord grace you with this new mindset.
0: Right, okay, so that's a very profound spiritual point here. You cannot cause God to give you grace, okay? Remember, so you cry out to God, convert me. Um, one of the things that you can do is to create the conditions and the dispositions that are more receptive to god's grace does that cause god's grace to occur we hope no we have it's... faith we believe lord i believe that you're going to give me grace <laughs> so um so it, it's a uh, it's a subtle spiritual point and we're up against a break so i'll have to break it open after the break on sound insight back in a minute Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Kerry Kern. And we are talking about faith and family and focusing in on con- on confession, the importance of confessing. And we've been breaking open the three levels. And that third, the most profound level is that, conf- that conversion of mindset. And um, you mentioned in the 33 Days to Morning Glory, that's the preparation for the consecration of our lives to Jesus through Mary. So it's a consecration to our Immaculate Heart. And we're we're on like day five. And so we're in the period of preparation where doing penance is, here's the word, it doesn't cause God to give us grace, but it can dispose us to be more receptive to God's grace. So it's removing obstacles. So if you can remove an obstacle, if you take down a fence, it's gonna be easier to to come straight towards you. If you're gonna remove a boulder, you're gonna be able to travel along that path more easily. But removing boulders does not cause God to, to come down the road. So God comes down the road, and what we will discover is, when we, through penance, are disposing ourselves, another principle from Aquinas comes into play. He says, God does not deny grace to those who do what is in their power. God does not deny grace to those who do what is in their power. That doesn't mean he causes it, but he won't refuse it. So I don't know, those points too subtle, do those make sense at all to you?
1: Yeah, but I, I would like you to anchor it with an example. Do you yeah. have an example of?
0: Okay, so fasting does not, so fasting, our, our tradition says, disposes you for deeper prayer. Doesn't cause It doesn't cause you to go deeper into prayer, but when you're fasting, guess what's happening? You're not satisfying your fleshly urges. You're not literally making your body tired through all the food. Does that mean you're going to pray better? Not necessarily, but it's certainly getting you ready to pray better. You're expressing to God your desire for him more than for food. I long for you, O Lord, in your word. And so those are things that the Lord puts in front of us as a way of saying, I'm pleased at the efforts you make. And they are stretching you They're helping create a better capacity in you to receive what I'm ready to give.
1: I think, um, I like that, Tom. I think when I go to prayer and I'm making these efforts, I sense he's a good father. Now, maybe I just think the Lord's just so kind and generous and merciful, but I do really feel like he one is drawing me into this 33 days. He is with me. I believe that he believes in me more than I believe in myself. Does that sound goofy? (laughs) And I just always sense that he's on my side. Um he doesn't make me like have to beg and plead and, you know, do all the jump through all the hoops to get him. It's well, the scripture of the good father, if he, you know, can give to those who are evil and wicked, how much more will he give to Oh, it's yesterday's scripture. Yeah, it's such a good scripture because yeah. I think asking shall good... receive,
0: seeking shall find, knocking shall be uh, the door will be open. It's from Matthew yeah, seven Yeah, should 1-11. preach this
1: point from the point of scripture because yeah. there's a ton of points where the Lord is saying, "Have faith, believe." Where's your hope? I am your, I am the victory here. Do not, you know, trust in yourself. Or so you man. see how
0: God's word shapes how we see.
1: Well, it should. God's it has word to.
0: shapes how we see. You yeah. were saying things like, "I want to, I want to receive more of the Lord's love." Okay. Well, you'll receive more of the Lord's love. If you see the Lord as a loving father who longs to give you more more and give you better gifts than you're even asking for he wants to give you he wants to give good things to you more than you even want to receive them and and that's that's a conversion of mindset yeah and it, that's that happens through allowing the Lord to love us
1: you know Tom when we're talking about um, confession there's one part of it I just wanted to quickly reference I think that when I come to a place where there's just hurt and failure, or a sense of I need help or I'm stuck, that I really, going to confession is awesome, but I really need people to surround me in prayer. I really feel like there's a point where you just need hands laid upon you. You need your brothers and sisters who believe to come and, and sure you up or be that support of not just, you know, be a conduit of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, it's not something we've done recently, but I really feel like this is something we impart to our kids, that if we wanted to really help them, we would gather them and spend time, Just let's just take a time to pray with you, to pray over you, to ask the Lord what he has for you. I know that Catholics aren't as comfortable doing that, but I just feel like there's so much power in that. and. You know, I see a lot of people, I know a lot of people that are Catholics go to confession, but I sense a lot of healing has not taken place in their lives. I just sense a a, a bondage, a brokenness, a, a level of not being freed. And I don't mean to sound judgy. I just, you just sense when somebody has, they, they're attending church, they have faith, but there's just more freedom that God has, more mindset shift or a deeper healing, um, So, you know, confession is powerful, but I also know that there is great power in those coming around and praying with you. I don't know. What do you think about that? I
0: I would say that, uh, okay, this is one of the very early points in the program I talked about is that confession is a sacrament of healing. But most people run away from confession because the last thing they think is going to come from that sacrament is healing. If we then focus on that word healing, which is your word for the year, and you say how has the Lord revealed in the history of the church the manner in which he is healing? Okay. Okay, the sacraments bring healing, but apart from the sacraments or in addition to the sacraments, there are two places. The first is in contemplative prayer. When you go and sit before the Lord in silence, it's like being on the operating table, and the Lord, the divine physician, when he uh, He will draw close to you and he will... Uh, prompt you to be open, opening yourself and being receptive to his coming and healing you. I don't think many people today uh, have received teaching and formation on that dimension of contemplative prayer, that it is meant to be a source of healing. The other is through the ministry of the body of Christ, that Christ the head ministers through his body, the church, members of the church, to minister healing where we see that typically happening and people take it for granted is through things like medical facilities, right? So that's why what the largest provider of medical care in the world, Catholic church, but what has been left on the sidelines or put into the hands of saints alone is the idea of ministering in a direct way through you called it the laying on of hands. I would just call it ministering through prayer, not saying I will pray for you, but rather I will pray with you right now. And that's one of the gifts that coming from the Second Vatican Council, the Lord has reinvigorated in the church through the Catholic charismatic renewal, is that whole idea of ministries of healing, where the body of Christ can be formed, taught and seek after the gifting of the Holy Spirit to come together, and to pray for healing for each other and you and i come from a background of 30 years or more 35 almost 40 years
1: <laughs> we um, keep we keep getting older keep getting older getting <laughs> those numbers where
0: one of the most powerful ways that i've seen healing occur is through praying for each other yes praying with each other yes. ministering in prayer
1: it's so powerful and it's so beautiful and it's so um uniting. And it causes everyone to get on the same side, the same page, we're all seeking after the Lord, we're seeking after heaven, heaven is our home. It, it has such a beautiful, radi- it radiates um, the love of, of the body. Well, what way, it does is,
0: it makes the personal reality of God more real. Uh, why? Because when you're ministering in prayer from other persons, it's very personal, okay. it's very relational. Yes. And I think that we are coming out of an age where most people's practice of the faith has been much more intellectual or um, practical. So the practical, whether it's practical service in the world or practicing religious activities, but the personal dimension of faith has been, um, not. it's, it's not that it's been like, let's ignore it. It's just been, um, set aside. It I just, hasn't been emphasized. I
1: just sense that a season's coming, or we're going to return to, or the Lord's going to awaken in a new way—a uh, relational prayer with each other, to encourage each other, to be there for each other, because of how isolated we are becoming.
0: Yeah, I I think our culture—if we we can quickly go to the like how bad our our society is falling away from a Christendom, a Christian basis, then all of a sudden it's going to up the intentionality and the directness of expressions of faith. To be a person of faith is to stand in opposition to a lot of what's happening in the world. And I could definitely see that leading to people being more overt about the personal dimension of their lives of faith and definitely praying for each other. I know that that's our hope. I hope for that. Yes. I look for that. And I think you and I are feeling a very specific call to manifest that some more. We definitely did that in the gift conferences for years um, uh, on the west side. And when we're talking about gathering together uh, Catholics in this area, that is definitely one of the aspects of the call that we're hoping for is ministering in prayer to each other. Well, Carrie, we're at the end of our pr- I confess we're out of time. <laughs> Thank you for walking with me. And I also confess that early, early in the program, I talked about 16 facets of confession according to Aquinas. I covered none of them, dear. That's okay. Because you showed up. Okay. That's okay. (laughs) I I would rather have talked with you. Aquinas will still be there another day. God bless you.